Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Check out more on this podcast. What's up? And the rest of the circus. Getting it in with Johnny Kim. Jiggy Jaguar. Jiggy Jaguar. Oh, I hear you on the radio uh, on the Facebook. JiggyJaguar.com. If you want a good time, I recommend the Rocky Money. Jiggy Jaguar. I order you to stand in the spotlight and growl at the women like a dog who needs a master. Jiggy Jaguar. JiggyJaguar.com. Time is up. Satisfied? One customer choice. Not allowed. JiggyJaguar.com. You know what I think is hilarious about during the worldwide pandemic, there was all these people who said that uh, they had to go to Florida, that Florida was their new home, and then as soon as the pandemic disappears, all of a sudden it's back to Vegas. <laughs> it happened with the Olympians, with the Ford Awards. I love it. We're going to go to John O'Connor. He's going to join us here in just a few moments. We're also going to have the fabulous IQI Rizzoli and Dan Perkins with us as well. Thanks for listening to the World Famous Chicky Check Wire Radio Broadcast live today. Archived audio available via our website at J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-Y-R.com. So, let's do this. Let's go to Dan Perkins, the fantastic Dan Perkins, the amazing Dan Perkins, the uh, star of stage and screen Dan Perkins. And uh, what is going on here with all this? I don't know. I've got to find... Supposedly there is four people in this call, according to me. Did my internet go out again? It seems to happen from time to time. Seems to happen from time to time. I don't know. We'll see what happens here. So let's just call IQ hours only first. Let's call the fantastic IQ hours only. What is going on with this? I got... All sorts of crap going on. And there's all sorts of shenanigans. And we got to connect with people. And it just happens that way. What is the deal with Skype today? Skype's giving me all sorts of problems as well, which is always fun. So, uh... My connection is too weak, according to Skype. So let's just do this. Let's just reboot Skype. We'll just reboot Skype. Quit Skype. Reboot Skype. Maybe that'll let us do it. Uh, gotta love technology. Technology's great when it works. Go to our official website, JiggyJaguar.com. The all-new CheekyJaguar.com. That is the best spot to see what we are up to. We've got archived audio. We've got all sorts of other things going on over there. It is the place to be. J-I-G-G-Y-J-G-U-A-R.com. So, let's do this. Let's go to IQ hours only. There we are. We just had to... just had to do something. I don't know. There's IQ. Okay. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I uh, had a had a little bit of a hiccup there with technology, so uh, we are just now getting to you. But uh, we are also going to go to... We've got IQ Rizzoli with us, uh, your friend and mine, and we are going to go to Dan Perkins, who is going to join us as Was well. Was it your What's birthday up? on Thursday? 
Yes, last Thursday it was my birthday. And I oh, got good. I was right. I got, I got promptly told my age by the lovely and talented Britannia. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what I don't care how old I am. But uh she promptly had to tell me. So that was uh that that was fun. But uh <laughs> I basically spent most of the weekend sick, so uh, that's that was. But that's how I spent Christmas last year with strep throat and uh, pneumonia. James, let so. me tell you something. Every What's five up? years, I have a huge birthday. Every five years. Every five years, you have a huge yes, birthday. It's an achievement every five years. Well, I'll tell you, in uh, in the world we live in, it is quite the achievement to uh, thank you <laughs> to be around. Uh, how are you, Dan? I'm good, thank you. And yourself? I'm okay. The fantastic Dan Perkins joins us here on our broadcast, and uh, we are hopefully going to be joined by John O'Connor here in just a few moments. He is our first guest on our uh, round round the world excursion today, our uh, day before, a couple days before Thanksgiving, and uh, we have got the very talented and uh, amazing John O'Connor with us. So, John, uh, tell us about your latest book, because you have a fabulous book. That is part of the reason why you are with us today. It's a lot of fun, Jiggy, and I'll tell you why. Uh, It reads like a thriller, because most people don't know any of the things that I'm talking about. Yeah. When we're talking about Watergate, it's called The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. And what it shows you is that in the world's most celebrated political scandal, probably the most impactful one in world history, certainly in American history, uh, we were not told the truth. People were not told the truth. And uh, it's the beginning of what has has happened today. That was wildly successful journalism. Journalists could start buying mansions and being on TV, you know, and all you had to do was get a scalp. And that's how this whole thing began. But it's a fun book. I've written it to be fun. Very, very informative. Um, It's also gets into, Jiggy, just to kind of titillate your audience, it also gets into naughty boys calling naughty girls uh, for uh, apparent compensation. And uh, some threatened murders, and it appears to be at least one or two actual murders that were involved in covering up what I'm talking about. So it's fun. <laughs> so it's fun. So, so John, this book, uh, you put a lot of time and effort into the book. What are you hoping readers get from your latest book on Watergate? Well, I'm hoping they'll see, first of all, how cleverly the press can deceive you. Yes. It's very easy to deceive you. You know, I... I get this from from being a lawyer. I think I have a problem with my uh, uh, audio here, Jiggy, so forgive me. No, 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 no. uh, you're good, you're good, you're good. Okay. We're we're, we're having all sorts of fun with technology today. So. (laughs) So. Well, I go into court all the time, Jiggy, and if I'm allowed or my opponent is allowed to speak to the jury or the judge without an opponent in, in practice, it's very easy even if you're technically kind of telling what you think is the truth, you just yeah. leave out some things. And if you leave out some things, you leave out facts, all of a sudden what is not true or not the best case becomes the best case. Yes. And it's very easy if you don't have an opponent. And what I show people is how the Post could do this. The Washington Post could report on Watergate without us ever figuring it out. And it's, it's in black and white. At the same time, I'm not just guessing. I'm not making things up. It's not yeah. speculative. I'm a lawyer. I know how to put proof together. Now, this took me 10 years to put everything together. I ran through an awful lot of summer clerks and interns who had to copy 3,000 Washington Post documents and research all sorts of things that were put before the various committees, before the House, other documents, and so forth. But... Uh, it, it's worth it. And so I'll note that the post doesn't make it easy for you to get their reporting. 
That was going to be my next question. Uh, what was your research and uh, production process like to bring this book to life? Well, I did 3,000 articles had to be printed out, and believe me, they're not made accessible. Yeah. And I thought that was odd because the Post is always talking about what wonderful, wonderful work they did. You'd think they'd want to show it to the world. <laughs> you would think. You would think. You would think. But boy, is it difficult. And I can't tell you how many, when I'd have a new summer clerk in to have to do this, I can't believe it. He or she would come into the office and say, my God, how could this be in today's day and age that yeah. the articles are so hard to uh, call up? So anyway, we ended up, you know, uh, uh, doing our best and, uh, you know, and, and, and copying them and trying to enlarge them as needed. Uh, but what, what the process then was for me to show in a succinct way what wasn't said and also what the Post knew at the time they printed this. It's one thing to say that there's an after-discovered fact and they didn't know it at the time. Um, I thought that. I knew that there were some things that had come out after Watergate that were interesting about the CIA and some other things. Yeah. But I thought, well, the Post didn't know those at the time. Well, they did. So another interesting thing about this, not only did they cover this up from the public, but they covered it up from the president himself in the sense that had they released these facts, the Post would have known what was up. Now, uh, the Post, the president would have known what was up. Everybody assumes that Nixon's in his office knowing everything and cleverly, uh, like Snidely Whiplash, uh, not telling anybody things. <laughs> The, the histories, and I'm not making this up because the histories that are try to help the Post out here, uh, there's one that recently came out that tries to sugarcoat or ignore a lot of the things I talk about. But when he goes through, this is Garrett Graff, who has a history out. When he goes through the conversations in the new tapes that many haven't heard, the uh, uh, lately released White House tapes, it's very clear that the White House has no idea what it's covering up. I mean, it's being very coy. It's not telling people things. There's no doubt about it. They're paying hush money to people, but they don't know what they're covering up because they don't understand what happened. Now, the Post did. That's the funny thing about it. The Post knew far more than the White House. You always think, well, the paper is going to bust the cover-up. They're going to find out what the bad guys found out. No, <laughs> they knew far more than the alleged bad guys about what had really happened. That's what's so odd about this, far more. And then I show about how certain things that could have shed light at the time, some of it was luck of the post that, that these things were quashed at various times. Um, and uh, so they did just didn't come out. Some of it was luck for the post that these things did not explode. Some of it was by design. Uh, so it's better to be lucky than good. And they were somewhat um they were somewhat lucky but nonetheless uh they covered the thing up and they've covered it up for 50 years you would think there'd be a mea culpa at some point yeah. and say hey you know something maybe we should have released these these stock and we have a good reason why we didn't release it and we'll tell you why and sugarcoat it but at least tell the public they missed some stuff but no what they've done is uh they basically have tried as best they can to embargo my books. I've got a couple books out there. The last person they want to hear on a podcast is me. I'm getting, uh, I'll tell you that the last book they want anybody to read is any, is any of mine. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of fun, but, but they have locked up a lot of the legacy media who are afraid to buck the post still. They've got a lot of power. And so, uh, but those people who have read this, including people who are very knowledgeable about Watergate, including uh, one professor and one author and some other people, they all say this is pretty amazing. They didn't even realize uh, how far it went until they read my books. We've got John O'Connor with us today, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened? And he joins us today here on our big broadcast. So, Dan, uh, I'll, I'll open open things up to you. What, what do you have for John about his brand new book, The Mysteries of Watergate? 
Well, John and I have had numerous conversations on black and white. And in fact, the last conversation we had, <clears throat> one of the last conversations we had was about the book. We also talked about uh, uh, what was going on in Miralago. And, and, uh, and so, John, I was listening to what you were saying about the uh, mea culpas that uh, the, t the Post um, eventually decided to make. But it's clear that the New York Times, the Washington Post, um, the LA Times, all of the major newspapers in the country who were against the Hunter Biden computer being talked about in prior to the 2020 election are now doing what you said, mea culpas, that maybe we got it wrong. But, but at it, least they're doing that, Dan. That's You and I talk about it, and, and at least it was so obvious at the time that they were off, at least to you and you and me and Jiggy and people that follow this closely. We knew that, you know, deplatforming the Hunter Biden story was a joke, but most people didn't. And most people just didn't hear it all about it. But in this in that case, they more or less had to say they're mea culpas because what are they going to do now that it's very clear that there's a laptop there? And guess what? The Russians did not. Uh, fabricate pictures of Hunter Biden smoking a cigarette in his bathtub, you know, looking like he'd, he'd been drugged in by the cats. But, um, <laughs> but, but so they couldn't fake that, and they had to issue some mea culpas there and not quite taking all the blame. But in Watergate, the great thing about Watergate, it's complex enough that you can't just do what you do with Hunter Biden's laptop and say, here's the laptop, how can you deny it? Uh, it's a little more complicated than that, and uh, you know it takes a, a certain type of uh, a, a long attention span to get it. You need to do it at least in a uh, in a in a, a, a lengthy article, and uh, if you really want to explore it, it should be a book level because this is a you know I mean it took Woodward and Bernstein 400 pages to talk about their reporting, you know so yep. uh, you know but anyway so I do it fairly quickly and as as um, concisely as i can uh but there we are there we are dan but you and i are on the same page on this this is just another example of uh you know a, a, a mainstream press that's essentially dishonest these guys were not so dumb when they're um banning the hunter biden story they're not so dumb as to think that it's really russian disinformation they're just all relying. Well, we can rely on what was said by the FBI or whoever it was, or these 75 <laughs> intelligence experts is who they relied upon. John, do you think that the outcome of the midterm elections with the, with the control of the House moving to the Republicans and the aggressive nature of several uh, prominent Republicans in the House about investigating what's, what happened here caused them to, to react Well, yeah, that's some of it, because they could look bad if they're called before Congress to try to explain why they said that this was Russian disinformation. This will happen anyway. Somebody's going to have to go in and say why they said what they said. And one of the things that you're going to find, and this is going to be a defense for everybody, and this is what's really shameful, uh, is that they're going to say the FBI ev eventually... A lot of these experts are going to say, we got it from the FBI or from a guy I know who got it from the FBI. And in fact, some of Comey's really biased guys, there's a guy named Brian Auten, who was one of the guys that screwed up the Danchenko case. Uh, Brian Auten and another guy that's already been rushed out, pushed out of the FBI, a guy named Tom Tebow. They both went out of their way to gin up this... Uh, Russian disinformation claim. So ironically enough, the terrible corruption of the FBI may be one of their real excuses here as to uh, why they said it was Russian disinformation. Because there is a basis out there. You know, the, the FBI did try to push that. So they're going to say that. But anyway, it looks bad. But in this hearing, you're going to have people talk about how stupid they were to sideline this thing. The other thing that's going to come up that has not really received enough play is why, if 
a special counsel were uh, uh, named for Trump's uh, wrongdoing, why there hasn't been one named for Hunter Biden? There's a conflict of interest. You know, dad is his dad is prosecuting his son. That's really it. I mean, Garland is the agent of Biden. So his father is actually supposed to investigate and prosecute a son, and that's not a conflict. And yet, no, no special prosecutor has been named. And and so they're in a horns of a dilemma there. The other thing that, that's happened is, is that as the Congress investigates, unless this U.S. attorney gets around to finishing this up, if he finishes it up, there's no Fifth Amendment right for Hunter Biden. But if he doesn't finish the prosecution, Hunter Biden can legitimately take the fifth and other people that are witnesses may take the fifth, too. So uh, it's 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 such a rat's nest. And then it gets back to our favorite subject, Dan and Jiggy, which is our wonderful mainstream media. Nobody's covering this. Nobody's yelling and screaming. You know, a democracy dies in darkness for the post, but apparently not for any conservatives who want to pursue democracy. So that's where we are. We're not going to get out the real uh, nuts and bolts of this thing. Do you think, John, as we've talked about the use of the special prosecutor in other interviews, do you think that the decision by President Biden to have Merrick Garland appoint a special prosecutor literally days after Donald Trump announced that he was going to be running for president uh, was a bad mistake upon the Biden administration and on Merrick Garland? No, I do not. And I'll tell you why, uh, Dan. He had to wait until after the election. If, if he named a special prosecutor within 90 days of the election, before the election, that was against Justice Department guidelines. And in reality, they may have just really come to a conclusion about this, about Trump. And even if it was within six months of the uh, election, it probably would have been considered a dirty trick if they did it. So I don't criticize them for the timing. Uh, and I don't even criticize him for having a special prosecutor here. I don't. And the terrible thing about it is what we're left with is the argument that, yes, I do think there's probably some probable cause here. Uh, now, what no one is going to talk about is that it was Biden and the politicized archives that pushed Trump into this situation it never should have come to a criminal case being opened. Why was the criminal case open? It was clearly a biased criminal case. Uh, and only if a criminal case is opened in Mar-a-Lago is there a basis for an obstruction of justice charge. If all you had was a civil subpoena, which is what you should have, civil subpoena, you don't even need a subpoena, you can need a, just file a motion in court. But whether it's a civil subpoena or a motion in court, those are civil matters and you can't obstruct a civil matter criminally. Uh, you can be sanctioned and so forth and so on, but there's no, you don't obstruct justice. There's not a quote proceeding in which a false statement is actionable under USC uh, 18, 1001. But uh, so, so my point is that Trump was poked and prodded like a bear you know, until he got angry or like a bull. Maybe that's a better one. You probe him, you prod the bull until finally he comes charging at you and you move your cape out there. So they put him in this position. Now, that said, as unfair and politicized as that was, there probably is probable cause to think that he removed documents and may have obstructed justice. I mean, that's the way I read it. I think they may have them. They may not. But there's certainly a case there. Uh, unless he lied somehow in the investigation of January 6th or obstructed it or tried to keep witnesses from appearing on the January 6th thing, um, there's probably not as good a case there. Now, I noticed that Garland, when he named the special prosecutor, special counsel, he talked about the investigation of January 6th, not January 6th itself. So he's looking for a process crime. So now did Trump lie or ask people to lie about January 6th or withhold documents regarding any kind of criminal subpoena? Okay, maybe they have them there. Maybe that's why they did this. It's another process crime. 
but they're always process crimes. Compare that, the real complaint should be they don't do this to themselves. I mean, Hillary Clinton and her ilk committed all kinds of process crimes, so many process crimes and very substance and very substantive matters. You know, well, you know, so what? Let's let it go. Uh, you know, how many times did Barack Obama lie to the American people on Benghazi via Susan Rice? I mean, it's ridiculous. But, you know, those things weren't set up in a way to bring in obstruction of justice. Hillary Clinton obstructed justice, but apparently that goes by the boards. Um, you would think if there's a, a subpoena out for her records from a criminal, from a grand jury, what have you, and she then decides she's going to destroy 30,000 emails, you would think that's obstruction of justice, but apparently not to James Comey and other people, Eric Holder, people like that. So it's a very, it's a two-tier system of justice, and we're getting very close to the socialist and communist regimes we know, where, you know, you look at the outside party with a much uh, dimmer view, and everyone on your side is sanctified. John, there was an article that I saw last night that said that Garland is going to wait until the most opportune time to charge Trump. And that will be sometime around the election in 2024. Well, I, I think it's an interesting... That is so strange. Why would you wait all that long? Well, I, I, think, he's, I think Dan's right and he's wrong in this sense. I mean, I think he's okay. right that he will wait. I don't think it's going to be till right before the election because it'll have much more impact if he waits until, say, the beginning of next year, late late 2023. It's probably the best time. Uh, this guy, Jack Smith, is going to want time to bring people into the grand jury. He may have trouble getting him in there. He's going to have Fifth Amendment issues there to get witnesses. Uh, but, um, but you're right, Dan. He, he's going to wait. Now, the other thing... That it's a conundrum for these guys. Do they really want to destroy Trump? Remember, if they don't, if they do destroy Trump, it may be the best thing for the Republicans and the worst thing for the Democrats. You know, uh, the Republican Party may not be torn apart. And if I'm a Democrat, I'd want to run against Trump. I wouldn't want to run against DeSantis. So the, the point, I guess, the article was saying last night was. Uh, if they issue the the charges against Trump as he's running in the presidential election, they're thinking it could do the most damage. Uh, I was thinking that the time to charge would be before the Republican convention, before the nomination is awarded. Well, you would, I, I would agree, but that would be before the primaries. Really, it's the primaries. The convention today, and I'm against this, but the convention is merely a rubber stamp on the primaries. People forget that primaries were not binding in the old days, and we, and until even in 1960, we still nominated people in smoke-filled rooms, which is the best way to do it, by the way, smoke or no smoke. Um, and uh, But now we have primaries, so if they want to harm Trump, they should do it before the primaries. The other problem is that Trump has got a base of people who will follow him, even oh, the yeah? indictment may actually energize the Trump base and it's going to make Trump even stronger among his base. It will not play well with the suburban women outside Philadelphia, but it will play well with his base. So I don't know. I mean, it's got, you don't know what you want to wish for here. You don't know, uh, you know, who, 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 whose ox gets gored by this stuff on Trump. Does it make him stronger? Does it give excitement to his campaign? Remember, one of the things Trump's looking at now is unlike his run in 2015 and 16, he doesn't have this excitement of being the new guy on the block and uh, sort of of the leading a new movement. And so his announcement to run for president was very subdued. He tried to be statesmanlike. People right. praise him for that. But exciting, he was not. Yeah, he wasn't. IQ so, Al Rizzoli, while we still have a little bit of time here 
with John. Uh, what kind of questions do you have for John before we uh, well, before we let him go for today? While I'm listening to John, my blood was boiling. <laughs> he is talking legal. I don't believe you have legal system in America. No, in fact, no. I know you don't have a legal system in America. So when you have an opponent who does not fight you with the Queensbury rules, how do you defend yourself? Personally, I'll cut his head off. Simple. I'm not going to play games. What's happening now? You have the Republicans in a majority, theoretically, in the House. Why aren't they having an investigation immediately of Hillary Clinton and of Biden? Why? Can you explain that to me, please? Well, I'll explain it to you very simply. I, I mean, your statement is right. Here's some of the things you talk about. Without a good justice system, how do you defend yourself? And now people can't understand. The New York Times cannot understand why so many people out there in America are riled up. And some people are going to physical violence. There's no doubt about it. Why? Because they're frustrated at the very unfairness of our system. It's tremendously unfair. I don't in any way condone any violence. I just say as a cynical and practical matter, there's going to be more and more of it as is very clear that there is one side of this equation which is very unfair to the other. So you're right. It isn't a justice system at all. It's become completely politicized. And uh, the Republicans do not play the same way that the Democrats do. Well, they're stupid, aren't they? Yeah. They really are stupid. You cannot win when you are only defending yourself, if not counterattacking. You cannot win a battle. Forget about a war. Well, IQ, let me go. Let me just say this. That's true. But if you do counterattack, what happens? Look what happens in which there's a counterattack on Bill Clinton, mainly fueled by anger at what they did to Nixon. What happens? The newspapers all jump on the side of poor old Bill Clinton and say that he's really just worried about the reason he lied under oath was because he had this wonderful relationship with his wife, Hillary, and they're very loving. And boy, he didn't want to no let her know that he actually had strayed from his marriage vows. That's a laugh. You don't think that Hillary <laughs> knew about Bill? Of course she did. But the, the newspapers jump all over poor Kenneth Starr, who's the straightest arrow in the quiver. And that's what happens. So every time the Republicans attack, they're just terrible people. So it's a very hard line to walk here when you do have not only a corrupted political process and legal process, but a corrupted media that gives, gives covering fire for them. The real problem I'm convinced in our political process is the media. And yet they're completely unregulated and protected by New York Times v. Sullivan and all these other doctrines. Uh, they have control over the major airwaves. Uh, even Fox is under pressure. I'm not saying they haven't caved on us, but they're under pressure to turn soft. And I think Lachlan Murdoch probably gets his ears filled every time he goes to a Manhattan cocktail party. <laughs> uh, you know? Well, so. well, John, I know that our time is, is short with you. Before we let you go, how do we get your books? Well, you got to go on Amazon.com or uh, BarnesandNoble.com to get The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really Happened. Uh, you can go any place to get Postgate or go to PostgateBook.com, my site, PostgateBook.com, and both books are on there, uh, and you can read all about them. So I just hope people – I just – look, if I ever make eh, good money on these books, it's all going to the Felt family. I'm not doing this for my own – uh, pocketbook here, and I've spent a lot of money doing it, uh, but I, it's for a public service mainly, and it's so much fun for anybody who reads this stuff. Everybody reads this. I get these notes all the time. Guys, John, thanks for writing this. I didn't know how interesting Watergate really was, and uh, and so it's, it's fun, and it also is very eye-opening. So look, you guys, uh, have a good Thanksgiving, huh? Yes. It's been uh, great talking to you. Dan, Thank you, John. Thank Keep you. Keep up the good work, IQ. Thanks, and, and, and uh, Jake, you're my man. We will. So we will talk to you after uh, after Thanksgiving. Thank you for joining us, John. Really appreciate okay. it. See you.
Thank you, sir. Yes. There he goes, the fantastic John O'Connor. And so we are now going to switch over to Skype on the other end. <laughs> we are going to go to our next guest who was going to join us here in just a few seconds. We've got to get uh, Dan Perkins' IQ over here. And uh, once we get them over here, what is going on? Why is my video off? I don't know why the video gets turned off. I don't know what's going on with this. But uh, we are going to go to our next guest. He is going to join us here in just a few seconds. We are waiting on Dan Perkins and IQ Rizzoli to join us on this side of the coin. Uh, my thanks to John O'Connor, who was our last guest. His book on Watergate is now available. Both his... Uh, Books are fantastic. Go over and check them out today. So I believe we have IQL Rizzoli. Maybe we uh, maybe we got hung up. There we go. Oh, can you hear me? There we are. Okay, I think we've got everybody. Loud and clear, loud and clear. Look at that. I think we've got everybody. So uh, I do not see uh, any other faces, only my own. Yes, I, uh, Skype did a hiccup, so we are gonna. I'm gonna try to get everything. Back in here. Uh, so let's do this. Uh, let's let's hang up the... Daniel was calling you. Yes. I'm going to get Dan back in here, and uh, we are going to get everybody back in, and we'll just... Ah, we'll, just we'll just see what happens here. And uh, while we wait on our guest uh, to get back in here with us, Go over to our website, jiggyjaguar.com, and you can uh, get all the details on all the interviews and everything that we have uh, we do. So IQ Abrazzoli is with us, and we are waiting on uh, Dan Perkins is back with us, and uh, I believe Oscar may have joined us. Oscar, there he uh, is. Yeah. Fantastic. He is back with us. So this is, this is going to be quite the interview. <laughs> we have got with us today a fantastic guest. I interviewed this guy probably a week or two ago about his latest book on shamanism. And I immediately have to get Don Oscar on with Dan Perkins and IQ Rizzoli. Um, so my man, explain to us a little bit about your book. You're the author. Tell us a little bit about shamanism, and I know that Dan and IQ will definitely have some questions for you. <laughs> well, my book is simply a gift to myself, a okay. way of offering the invisibility of who I am as a friendly holographic projection by the name of Oscar. Okay. <laughs> When there's a, a little bit of an echo, there is a little bit of a delay, but that's just Skype. It'll it'll fix itself. Don't 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 worry about it, my friend. Just, Wonderful. Just just keep well, going, my friend. Uh, the publisher of Sacred Stories has put together a series of books, whose intention is to make the mystical and the supernatural mainstream. I've always had an issue with the word supernatural because, in, in my humble opinion and experience. I find that there's nothing uh, super about something that is very natural and dormant and part of who we are as human beings, whether it is precognition, psychokinesis, encounters with anomalous phenomena, uh, even teleportation. It's all part of what our own imaginative faculties are capable of conceiving as a choice of reality. So. Shamanism is ideally suited being an imagination-empowered and nature-venerating healing vocation that has existed since the Upper Paleolithic times. It is ideally suited to create a reality that involves multidimensional visitation as well as befriending, becoming allies with unseen beings and unseen forces and energies that can be extremely useful in shape-shifting our current reality. 
and therefore this book is basically of starts it, it consists of three parts the first is an introduction to shamanism yep. say overview a universal overview of it of its phenomenology and also of its current relevance in the modern uh, postmodern western acculturated world the second part is a riveting compilation of stories by other people that have had encounters with non-ordinary states of awareness and other anomalous are. phenomena that have been very very beneficial to them to their own growth to their own evolution to their own soul's maturation yes. 25 stories storytelling is an integral part of the shamanic path as you well know it's vital to keep it we don't memorize the stories the stories tell us in the shamanic way and the third is a the section is a series of exercises, methodologies, practices that individuals can adopt and develop their own shamanic pathway, their own heating of the call as a hollow bone, as I like to call it. So hopefully it'll plant a little seed in the hearts of those willing to grow, evolve, and change in a manner that will make them instruments of healing light in the world dan i cannot wait for your first question <laughs> go ahead my friend I, the first thing that comes to my mind sir and welcome to the program it's a pleasure to Thank meet you dan you. it's a pleasure um we have not only in the united states but in other countries throughout the world we are growing a generation of people who does not know who they are morally, spiritually, physically, or intellectually. I'm a, I'm a woman t today, tomorrow I could be a man, the next day I could be a shovel, the day after that I could be a pig. So we have lost the identification of who we are as human beings, and our, I have to believe that our spiritual side must be terribly confused as we change the direction of who we are and what we are. More important than that, however, to me, is that we have an education system in the United States that is teaching children the benefits of self-mutilation, destroying who it is they are to discover who they think they are. And I wonder, um, yours is, perhaps for a lack of a better description, a more spiritual movement. Um, how are you dealing with, in your, and the people who believe what you believe, with all the insanity that's going on in our world today? How many days do you have to sit in council and discuss this beautiful opening, my good brother? Because the issues that you raise are fundamental to the prophecies of our ancient ones that spoke about these times and that situated them within a, an, uh, a transitional period in the arc of human history that if we do not get our act together, the human race as we know it now may cease to be present. We know that. We're seeing the effects now, as you say, with the beautiful examples that you said, especially in this country that's always been ahead of the curve when it comes to anticipating the new innovations, the new unfoldings of ways that we can expand beyond our five sensorial dependency into other ways of IA and uh, alternate reality engagements. Now, the mutilation and the sense of despair that characterizes not only our youth, but our government leaders, for they are mutilating the people that they serve. They, it comes from an estrangement from the sacred dimensions of life, in my experience. When you're not in touch with something that is greater than yourself, that you wish also to honor, and that you wish to allow it to align you with a higher purpose in your life, 
you're going to be very narcissistic. You're going to be self-absorbed. You're going to compare yourself to others. And that is a, a recipe for self-destruction. Because the minute you see yourself as different from another, especially if you want to be like another, and that other is an example of very selfish desires, then, therefore, there is an isolation that occurs in the life of that individual. And as you well know, the individualism that characterizes the modern Western psyche is greater of a danger than the environmental de degradation that we are experiencing. I've always considered the pollution of mind more dangerous than the pollution of our environment. And the, we don't have any rites of passage. They've become insipid. I noticed that you are doing this beautiful work with veterans that sadly 22 a day I read on your website were committing suicide. That's right, unfathomable. Right. It's, I, it, I mean, I can't even wrap my head around it. And on top of that, the PTSD and the amount of need that there is there, and there's no community, there's no rites of passage, there's no initiations into a different life after coming back from a war-torn country or experience. Lacking that begins in the educational system, and that's where what your comment that you made needs to be brought into the minds and hearts of people that are behind the scenes and wanting to educate rather than to rather, excuse me, to educe, to bring out from within, rather than stuff like a sausage skin with a lot of useless facts and data. So I don't know if this made any sense, what I said. <laughs> no, sure. it, it I did. what you said. Yeah, I have one, one other question for him, Jim. Yes. Um, I, I don't know a, a great deal about shamanism, and so I'm going to make an assumption that you can correct me. But I'm guessing that there is a relationship between the spirituality of God and the land and nature. And I'm wondering, as you look at what we're trying to do in terms of destruction of the earth through the Green New Deal concept of eliminating CO2 and what we're doing in terms of of destroying the planet to try and make it greener. Uh, is that in fact in conflict with what you believe? I'd like you to elaborate a bit more about uh, making the planet, destroying it to make it greener. What do you mean by that? Um, Give me some examples, please. Okay. Um, I, live on, I live on Sanibel Island. Uh, was the, the landing point or the first shore point for Hurricane Ian. 10,000 homes were in some form of destruction, mine being one of them. <laughs> Sorry. And, and last Friday night as my wife were driving back to the island to go visit the house to see how the workers were doing, we pulled past the country club that we belong to, and I noticed, I said to my wife, there's a golf cart on fire. Wow. And by the time we got to the parking lot, it was just less than a minute, three were on fire. And in 10 minutes, 32 were on fire because of the lithium batteries that were in the car. Oh, no. We have uh, last year in the United States alone, we had 174,000 car fires due to lithium batteries. The Green New Deal people think that electric cars is one of the solutions to our problems. Yet we're finding that the technology is not there to support effectively the use of lithium batteries in cars or trucks or buses or whatever. And uh, we had more, ch more people killed who died in the fires in those cars, children, than the children who died in shootings in, in, throughout the United States for the entire year by a factor of 10 to 1. My point is, if we're making all these policies to try and make the earth greener and we're destroying it by adding these new technologies that attack our universe, then is that a problem for you? It is. 
as much as evolution is punctuated by certain leaps that are um, unforeseen, I'm not in a position to say that it's these lithium batteries are a stepping stone toward total hydrogen-based um, fuel-efficient transportation. People are in the habit, in my experience, uh, Dan, of trying to do what is easiest and quickest. And nature does not work that way. No. The earth, the cosmos, they are trim tab. They seek the shortest route from one place to the other, but not by circumventing all of the other options, but by knowing what the goal is to begin with. I feel that the, we don't have an overarching vision as to how to make this earth and humanity a regenerative, an eco-spiritual regenerative presence on planet. We don't know where we're going. We're, these are little band-aids. And I agree totally. The lithium battery example is primo. It's perfect. And there's so many other technologies that supposedly are going to help reduce carbon emissions, but they're just going to create more garbage in the world and put more people's lives at risk. That I agree. Yet all scientific discovery, innovation, and breakthrough has come, unfortunately, with a little bit of destruction as its residue. Yeah. So I'm not one to say it's right or wrong, but I am one to say that do things a little smarter and with more foresight than we are right now. So IQ Al-Rizzoli, um, you have been listening to this. I sent you some information on, uh, on our guest earlier today. Uh, what do you have uh, for our guest, IQ? Well, my understanding of shamanism is like the American Indians, the natives of America, and also like the ones in Australia, the original people. They believed in nature. They were more spiritual than they, we were ever under Christianity or Islam or Judaism. They were more in tune, as far as I know, with nature than they, we were, ever were. Do you agree with that? Uh, are you asking me? Yes, yes, yes. Of course. Um, I would say partially, because there also is this BPM, the beautiful people myth, that is rampant in the world. There's a lot of non-indigenous peoples without any tribal affiliation. Believe it or not, even though I'm white-skinned like this, I am from the Panaca of Capacupanqui. I was born in Peru. I speak Quechua, Runasimi, the language of the, of the native uh, pre-Inca and Inca people. And I apprenti my apprenticeship was, were two elders, very respected in the northern coastal regions of Chiclayo and in the southeastern central highlands of Peru uh, near Cusco. So I have those two indigenous native legacies uh, behind me that support the work that I'm doing. So I'm considered a mestizo, a mixed blood. Yet the two uh, examples you made of Turtle Island people here in North America and the real people as they're called in Australia, uh, yes, they are totally more connected to the living, sentient, pulsing earth because they are an animist, they're an animist culture. They see everything as having consciousness, as being alive, as, as, as having feeling. And all of their actions, all of their rituals are designed to enter into a relationship with this living earth. So that is beautiful. Yet there's a lot of native people that are tribally affiliated that also have severe problems. And not all of them are, are saints. And we need to be very careful and discerning as to which types of sweat lodges you'd go to 
or what type of inipi, what type of, you know, going up on the hill or vision quest you go and who's going to hold space for you when you go into that. And not even to mention the rampant use of ethnogenic substances, of vision plants that are done by people that have no right in the world to be facilitating yeah. these journeys for people. And they are native tribal peoples. So they don't have the background or they have disconnected from their own traditions. And so we have to be very careful when I say, yes, all native people are going to save the earth because they're so much more connected to its living pulsing heart. Yes and no. I hope this answers your question. No, no, I, you answered it, but I mean, what I'm getting at originally, forget the pollution that happened afterwards. Originally, these people were connected to the earth. Oh, yes. That's Most, what I'm saying. Right. This is I, the beauty of it. Connected to nature. God is nature. The whole universe is God, and the whole universe is nature. So that's not difficult to understand. Not yes. in my point of view. Correct. Correct. Thank and you. I agree wholeheartedly. Being hunter-gatherers, foragers, walking the earth, there's no way we could not be connected to the natural living world. And those were the first ancestors that then settled into the more sed sedimentary uh, or, or sedentary tribal nations that we know still exist around the planet, including in Peru. And I feel that we have a great debt to those two-legged pioneers of living in that reverent manner, certainly. Do you think we will be able to overcome all that? I mean, our present condition, which is really despicable. Eight billion people and growing on this earth that really should only be holding, what, 500 million max? I don't know. Yeah. Every day. What do you think, Dan? Plant a seed. Do, do we have a future? Oh, Dan. yes. We, there's going to be a future with or without uh, uh, the human species. Dan Perkins, do you think we've got a future? That's a great question. Uh, I was thinking about it as IQ was asking it. Um, there are days that I wake up and have serious concerns that we will survive because we are making such terrible, terrible decisions that relates more than anything else to our children we are we're taking our children and and whether it's crt in the public schools or transgenderism or whatever it is we are we are trying to force our children to abandon abandon judeo-christian ideas of faith and god and morality and responsibility and accountability uh, as we teach more and more children those ways of life, of, of abandoning what made this country as great as it was, I am not sure that we can, can survive as a nation. As a nation? How about as a planet? Yes. I'm worried about the planet also, believe me. We are self-destructing. Humanity is self-destructing. We are polluting the water. We're polluting the land, we're polluting the oceans, we're polluting the air, and now we are polluting space. And we expect to survive? I'm sorry, look, I have children and grandchildren, I swear to you. I'm more worried about them and their future than about my life. Day two after tomorrow, I'll be dead. What I'm worried about is my, the future of my children and grandchildren. I really do worry about that. Well, with all due respect to my good friend, IQ, uh, I, I somewhat disagree. I do not believe we are polluting the water and the earth and the sky. I think, the, I think it's better than it's been in many, many decades, if not centuries. What I concern is more that we're polluting the minds of children. Yes. That to me is more, much more dangerous than whether, uh, I mean, it, it makes no sense to me that we can have a, a, a Paris Accord signed by almost 100 nations, and we exempt India and China, who are building a coal-fired plant every year, every week, to be exempt from, those, from the pollution. 
that that they're doing. And and the reality, yeah, in some cases in in China, it's it's bad. But by and love by and lo- uh, by and large, the the world is not filthier than it was 50 years ago. But the mines are corrupted much more than they were 50 years ago. And that's if we if we poison the minds of the next generation, they will in turn poison the next generation, and we will lose our identity of who we are, what our relationship is with God, and our relationship with our fellow man. Well, as a you know, I respect you very, very much. But honestly, the way the pollution has already occurred, it is irreversible at the moment. How are you going to change? the education system in the United States of America. Oscar, how do you think you can do it? By introducing the children into a family that is not only nuclear, that it's an extended spiritual family of trusted adults that are examples of right living in relationship to their sense of reverence for the sacred gift that is life, and for our earth as our mother. This is the way that my elders and my ancestors have taught me to live and to teach love by the way I live, and through that example, help children return to caretaking the earth. And it can be done through many, many ways, my good friend. Uh, there's we don't lack what what we lack is imagination we have the resources to be able to reverse all of the more pressing problems that are that we're facing at present even those very uh self-serving billionaire goals of terraforming (laughs) mars for their own survival all those things can be done in a good way if we do it from a place of true seven-generation vision. In other words, in our Native American traditions, we understand that our thought, our word, and our action, whatever it is, should be considered for its impact seven generations into the future, not just for what it's going to do now. If we got together again in schools, among families, and created a tribal consciousness, a consciousness in which nothing can happen positive for anybody unless it's good for everybody. And that may sound a bit socialistic, a bit totalitarian, but it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with just watching nature and how nature works. Biomimicry is the way to solving our problems in my opinion well as we wrap up here let's start with uh dan perkins dan uh bring us up to speed on your nonprofit and everything you've got going on well we're still dealing with the insurance companies on the on the flood uh we just just to just to take a second we got a call this morning from our realtor who's working with us to try and find people to fix up the house and we were told that well we're on the list to get a call next week from the electrician and but they probably can't get to us until the end of december to early january wow and so without electricity we can't do much with the house so um and roofers are in short supply sheetrock is in short supply as are sheetrockers so we're we're fine where we're living now but we're living under the cloud of what are we going to do? And we've yeah. got this house, and, and like many other, seriously damaged because of the, the hurricane and the floods. Um, books are doing well. The network is expanding, um, blacksandwhites.us. And a lot of commentary as of recently, which can be read on danperkins.guru and the nonprofit, as our guest spoke about, songs and stories for soldiers uh the, the the number that he mentioned in early on about 22 uh, soldiers uh committing suicide every day that's reti- that's veterans that doesn't count 
the active duty soldiers that are committing suicide every day. So go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us, go to blackandwhites.us, our new network, which is growing rapidly. And um, as always, Jim, thanks for having me on. Yes. So IQ, uh, give me your thoughts on today's show. Fantastic as usual, very spiritual. I like it very much. And Oscar, congratulations. I wish you the best. I wish you the best, IQ Al-Razoli. Thank you. So, Oscar, uh, how do we get your books, my friend? Well, you can go to heartofthehealer.org. Heartofthehealer.org, that's our website. Or just to amazon.com and put in shamanism and then put in the word Oscar and it should pop up. Fantastic. Well, this has been amazing. Uh, this this was not what I had expected. And uh, this was a treat. Uh, we'll have to do this again. Um, to everybody in our audience and to you guys, uh, happy Thanksgiving. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Appreciate right. it. There they go. That is Oscar. That is Dan Perkins, and that is the fantastic IQ of Rizzoli, Peace and Chicken Grease. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.